Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hey, hello. How you doing, buddy? Huh, glad to be back. How is the nudist colony? <laughs> I don't normally listen to the episodes because I'm here when they're recorded. But I listened last week for the uh, <laughs> the really long episode. Anybody who listened to it will know that it, it ran a little yeah, bit long. Yeah, it went a while. But uh, you guys had an ongoing theme of something about me being a nudist colony because I was way on vacation and... <laughs> Well, we didn't know where you were. Because <laughs> when we were talking about you going away, we never actually said where it was, where you were going. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going on a trip with your buddies. I didn't know if yeah. you were going on a canoe trip. I didn't know if you were going on a, a family vacay or It was a family whatever. glamping camping trip. We went to McGregor Provincial Park. Oh, so not a nudist colony. No, it wasn't a nudist colony. Derek time. was not at a nudist colony. I didn't see a single nude person. <laughs> <laughs> I even closed my eyes when I got dressed. <laughs> it was good, though. It was, uh, it was, uh, always, it was a glamping trip. So it was, uh, uh, just a regular campsite, motorhome, and, uh, spent days at the beach, relaxed. I I took a lot of naps. <laughs> I I would take a morning nap in the hammock, and then I try and read in the afternoon. and fell asleep reading every day, and it, so it was a uh, it was a very relaxing trip. I slept in most mornings and had naps, and saw well. I'd like to say I saw a lot of sunsets, but uh, there's so much haze in the air that the uh, the oh, sun the- was setting like an hour early because it would just drop below the haze. Yeah, so it was. Uh, I think we saw, I got some pictures of two different sunsets and uh, we were there for a week. So, but it was good. It was still good. Like the weather was fantastic. It was, had a slight sprinkle drizzle, but it was, uh, the kids had a blast. Like they, they can play in water for an amazing long time. It's like, aren't you guys getting pickled out there? Like what, you've been in the water for like three hours now. Come on. Just say, oh, look at the leeches. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Let's see how fast they get out. I think there's a shark out there. <laughs> <laughs> look at the snapping turtle. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was awesome. It was a really good week. How busy was it? It's so the the park was supposedly full because we were looking at extending because we had trouble booking because it was fully booked. But while we were there, we walked around and we saw two or three empty campsites the whole week that we were there. So people must have canceled at the last minute or something, or didn't yeah. even cancel, just didn't go and still paid the fee, right? Because uh, there was campsites that were empty all week. But just a few. There, there was, And what's good about it is, uh, so McGregor is a huge park, and there's like dozens and dozens of little beaches here and there. There's a couple, couple there's two main beaches. But uh, there's no, I never ran into crowds. It was, everybody was spread out. There was no, I did never felt like there was too many people at any time. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was nice. Like we hardly saw people on the trails. We went, we went biking really? pretty much every day. We went to the beach every day and, and we, uh, we occasionally passed people or people passed us and stuff like that. But it was, uh, yeah. But <laughs> Beckett is starting to look like the uh, eight year old that he is. He, uh. He's crashed his bike a couple times. He's uh, tripped running. He's got scratches and cuts down his rib cage on both elbows and hands and wrists and knees and shins. You look at him, it's like, what happened to you? He got rolled by a ba- honey badger or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he did. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, he's looking like a t- typical boy right now. He's got cuts everywhere. So, but but they both had fun. It was... Uh, 
it was a fantastic week away, and I got to decompress and not think about work. And so the kids were at the beach playing, mm-hmm. and you were snoozing. No, I went to the beach with them. And snoozed. No, I read I read a book. I went swimming with them a couple times as well, or I sat on the beach and read my book. And but it was it was nice. We Good. Uh, we dug holes in the beach, or we built a little sandcastle once. And and uh, but yeah, it was it was fantastic. The water was fantastic. It was uh, when you first got in because you were so hot. It was like oh my god, this water's so cold. But then after about ten minutes, like oh, this is cozy. This is nice. <laughs> Were you so, finding warm spots? I was finding warm spots, yeah. <laughs> Don't stand in the warm spot yeah. in the lake. Uh, no, that's good. You got to get away from yeah, it was so good. often. Yeah. And, I mean, we're away this weekend heading up to Algonquin, so. Nice. Um, yeah, you got you to get away. And, I mean, with everything that's been going on and now you can sort of, yeah, all the plans that we've been making, it's that time of year where they're actually coming up now. And exactly. It's going to be. Yeah. Trip, 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 trip. Yeah, that's what I've got coming up too. Yeah. But what was nice is uh, I really got the sense that uh, things are starting to return to normal. Like the showers were open and and you could see people wandering and playing and having fun. The park was full. It was, uh, it, the, the, it, was it was like, wow, I can almost see the end of the tunnel here. Were people still doing the mask thing and when they needed to? Like in the it, bathrooms and stuff for the most part? Uh, the, the, where we were... So there's there's vault toilets and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you're, oh, okay. yeah. you're the only one in there, and you then the sh- and the showers, <laughs> yeah, and then the showers just have their own their own door, yeah. right? So you're the only one in there. So there the uh, there's a couple communal. You know, you walk in, there's a couple stalls, the comfort stuff stations, like and comfort stuff, stations. Yeah. I never went to a single one. Yeah. So I I never saw other people in there, but uh, I very occasionally saw somebody with a mask either wrapped uh, down around their neck or something like that walking around outside but it was uh there's not a lot of indoor stuff there oh we uh we there's every day at one at the visitor center there was this thing they talked about you know like uh mammals one day and it was wetlands another day so oh, like the naturalists yeah or so that part it was one family at a time would walk up to the naturalist and they'd do their spiel for about 10, 15 minutes. Then you'd walk off and the next family would come up. So was, they didn't do the big, everybody listen. It was, it was this little, it was a smaller version of what their normal thing would be. Right. And uh, so it would be just us and the naturalist talking to us about it. And we had to stay behind the cones. We had to wear masks. They wore masks. So th- that was, that was still, you know, what, what you were used to, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know what, as long as you're still able to do that sort of thing. Because that was the big thing with the kids when we used to go to like Algonquin and stuff yeah. like that was was the, the naturalist presentations. Exactly, yeah. You know, we'd get yeah. up first thing in the morning, have our breakfast, run around for a few minutes, and then, you know, off to the visitor center to see, well, they're talking about bats today, or they're talking exactly, about yeah. the, the wolves today, mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, they're talking about, you know, some, some of the ecology of the park today mm-hmm. or, exactly. or bats, yeah. you know, they, and they have, one of the years we went, uh, they actually had uh, uh, some researchers from, I don't know if it was Windsor or Guelph or something like that, uh, with bats, a cage full with, with, with some bath, bats in Actual it. bats. Actual bats. Wow. Not baseball bats. But, no, you know, I mean, not dead ones pinned no. to a board. No. Yeah. They were actual <laughs> live bats. He's an ex-parrot. <laughs> <laughs> no, real real live bats. They had cool. a couple of them hanging there. And so the kids could go up and see. And, yeah. and, and of course, the you know, when you get the 
the touch and feel displays, like, you know, there's a beaver's skull and the kids want to look at it. Oh, okay. A yeah. snake skin or this is the, the, a rabbit, some rabbit fur or something. Little kids, they like that exactly. hands yep. on. Yeah, exactly. On thing, yep. you know, and I think it adds to the, um, absorption of information yeah, that little so kids have. If you can t- touch and feel something, it's like, this is a beaver skull. You can see the teeth, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. So it, it, as opposed to seeing a beaver 200 meters away, oh, look, there's one swimming. It's a little bit up close. You'll learning, remember so more about it the beaver itself. It, it sticks in their head. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, well, good. Sounds like you guys had a blast. Yeah, it was a good week. It was a really good week. And when's your next trip? End of mid to late August, we're going to Tomogamy. Awesome. Yeah, because you're, you're going to Tomogamy. And then, like, two weeks later, we're going to Tomogamy. Yes. And I think we're almost doing the same route. You're doing a longer route to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing a truncated, similar route to you, but shorter. I think you're doing about a third of our route. Yeah, yeah. But you're you're spending We're going to spend multiple days. We're not going to yeah. do a lot of trials. It's, it's uh, with the 8 and 11-year-old, I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to make them work too much. Mm-hmm. And I, they, we did uh, a trip last year on Algonquin where we trip, we travel, we moved every two days. So we parked and, and stayed for two days. And then, so it's just to get, to give them the sense of the traveling trip, right. As yeah. opposed to parked in a campsite for a week. It, we, I wanted them to move, pack up every second day and, get their little backpacks on to do the portages and so on, right? So it made it more real about what a like a real backcountry trip would be. Well, right? they're older now, so... Yeah, they, they carried all their own stuff. They had some... Beckett at first was... He was upset that he had to carry a backpack. It's heavy. Oh, I remember that. It's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy. But after, after about the... After the first day, about the second portage, he just forgot about complaining. He just... You know, it's like, oh, am I supposed to be complaining about this now? So he just, he just went with it. He had to carry it. So, you know, one of them had all the rain jackets and first aid and snacks. And the other one had like, uh, you know, other stuff like, you know, day, day stuff, like anything you'd need during the day, all the day bags. So we sunscreen and exactly. spray. Exactly. So stuff that you might need during the day, like snacks and food and, and whatever. And, and, uh, so all the heavy stuff was in our packs. Yeah. Yeah. I so just, it I gives them a little bit of heavy packs. <laughs> yeah. They'd be like a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> By the time we get everything else down, they should almost be there with that one pack. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, we're doing the, the whole, I think it's 10 days. And I think we're only staying two nights on one site. But we're covering, we're going from Moat Landing all the way down to Obabaka. And yeah. Back. Pretty extensive trip. You know, um, there, yeah, there's going to be some big white water, or not big white water, some big water. Big open water. Big yeah. open water. I think it's windy up there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it gets windy everywhere anymore. Yeah. We attract it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but with uh, with Algonquin, though, there's a lot of areas, and that's what I'm used to, Algonquin. Like, I've been to Clarny, I've been to Tomogamy, I've been to Cl- Tomogamy quite a bit. But, like, when you go to Algonquin, it's a lot of narrow waterways so mm-hmm. unless you got a headwind or tailwind you're usually sheltered everything f- well you get on the big do you not remember the north t incident of i remember yours yes. 19 yes. <laughs> <laughs> i remember your trip last year yeah <laughs> yeah 
Um, so this is going to be worse than that. <laughs> well, that didn't scare her off. Let me just see what I can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes it. It's it's one of the complications with uh, getting windbound or something like that. For safety's sake, mm-hmm. you got got to park your butt for a couple of days. And I always plan my trips around that. It's like you know what I'm. I've got some buffer. I'm planning on at least one rest day if it's a big trip. And so if if uh, the rest day can happen anywhere, it's like for the most part, it, depending on what park you're. Algonquin, yeah. you got to stick to a certain plan because you know depending on how full the lakes are and stuff you have specific lakes you're booked onto but uh when you get into other areas it's uh there's a little bit of forgiveness for certain days like so you have some days that are longer and shorter and so you can fit in a windbound day yeah well we're having we've got one planned day um uh, down on obabaca yeah and then we have some short days where you could cover the distance of two of the days in one day. Yeah. So if there's an issue where we're windbound or whatever for a day, it's not going to, then we just got to paddle that full distance the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't get to lollygag for two days instead. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you, you get, yeah, you build it in that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun. And yeah, you guys are doing your, you're still right now in planning stages of your Burt Reynolds. Yes, it's, yeah. it's uh, there's not a lot of planning to do. Like we have to, we have to get together on a Zoom call very soon, and uh, we're about six weeks away, six or seven weeks away. So we, uh, there's, some of the stuff is just simple logistics, like you know, booking a shuttle, uh, booking the train, booking the hotel in Cochrane, and stuff like that. The complicated stuff is trying to figure out meals for, like who's going to be making meals. Usually we group together and somebody to make a breakfast every day but you're sort of on your own for suppers mm-hmm. so uh we're you just have to figure out those See, we logistics. Did it the other way around yeah yeah eat what because i know some people like their pancakes in the morning or they their eggs and bacon mm-hmm. throw me some some oatmeal and i'm i mean i'm gone well we've we've uh usually what we do on this thing is uh is somebody's got every day like it's yeah later in the trip on the first few days it's a it's a group breakfast, and then later on in the trip, it's just like people just have like packets of oatmeal and stuff. Yeah, but there's usually somebody is doing a meal every night, so somebody's got something planned for a meal, uh, like either a giant scrambled egg mix of something, or or just you know freeze dried food later on in the trip when you start to run out of the fresh food and whatever, right? Yeah. So it, it's it's. Uh, it's different because normally when I'm, it, it, normally I'm on a trip with a family. It's like I'm cooking every meal, right? Mm-hmm. But so this is nice. It's like okay, it's it's Mike's turn tonight, and so it'll be like you know, two people cook, two people do dishes. Yeah, and then next night you mix it up. Two other people cook, two other two people do dishes. And see the problem, I, I I'm sort of a two minds of it, like. I, I, I like doing the group thing where, okay, well, I'm doing dinner tonight and mm-hmm. the next two nights or three nights, whatever, I don't have to cook dinner because yeah. it's everybody else's yeah. turn sort of thing. But I also don't eat as much as everybody else when I'm out there. Mm-hmm. And there's like trip times where I'm on a trip yeah. and it's nice, easy day. And sometimes I'm not even hungry at night. Yeah. So I'll like have have some bannock or like a, like if I make a big bannock and break it into four. Yeah. I'll have a chunk, like a quarter of that bannock with something on it, and mm-hmm. there's dinner. Yeah, because I'm just not hungry, you know. So I'm I'm of the of the I like doing the big dinners with everybody, but yeah, I don't want to be the one cooking the day I'm not hungry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
Like in, in the past on trips that I've been on, it's just the Burt Reynolds trips that uh, we started grouping meals. But normally what I've been on trips like that, it's uh, it's a free-for-all. Everybody just, you're on your own. Make your own. It's a, You're on yeah. your own. I've been on both types. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I, I was... I was kind of concerned about doing it, uh, this Burt Reynolds thing, because we were planning group meals and stuff, and it, I was a little nervous about it at first, because I was like, oh, this is going to work out. But it worked out really good. Oh, yeah. Just, and it was just because I wasn't used to, I'm used to, like, you know, there's like four or six people on the trip, and everybody's just needs some hot water for their pouch of freeze-dried food, and everybody goes off to a corner somewhere and, you know, chats and talks and sits on the shore somewhere. And, but uh, with the uh, with the Burt Reynolds stuff, it's more of a communal Mm-hmm. work group so it's yeah. uh it's different it's it's everything has its own appeal oh yeah so. definitely definitely mm-hmm. nothing wrong with either version yeah um just looking at what we got on the old docket here tonight rock stacking cairns yes you're bringing this one up again so again yes and it was it's gotten worse. It has gotten worse. And that's why I was like, we've talked about this. I don't like to, unless there's something new or relevant, I usually don't, or we don't like to repeat topics. It's uh, been there, done that. But if it's new and relevant, then, then we bring it up again. And I was, I came across uh, it, uh, an article. So there was a, there's a parks story from Zion National Park in the States. And uh, this woman, took that story and and made an opinion piece for adventure journal and uh and so it's it's back again but this time it's there's there seems to be it's i blame covid it there's a lot of new people out in the backcountry and they're not used to being in the backcountry and they want to bring their front country habits into the backcountry and so we've seen a lot of this same rock stacking but it's compounded like it's it's like tenfold and and there's this new thing that i've never seen before it's uh until covid but it's uh summer's long line somebody decided hey let's paint some pretty rocks and and line this path yeah that's been a big covid thing yeah Uh, when we do our walks through the neighborhood when covid was in full stride yeah there's a little flower garden yeah people would paint the rocks and smile have a good day yeah you know, love, all that sort of little notes to people, you know, may hopefully make them put a smile on their face sort of deal. Yeah. But, but that's a, fine if it's in your neighborhood. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a place for that. And it's not in the backcountry. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a form of, I like a lot of people have different opinions and I don't agree with other people, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I see it as, as a form of littering. It's mm-hmm. uh it, it's, it's no, it's no better or worse than seeing like uh, empty uh, disposable water bottles or or food wrappers in the backcountry. It's like why is it's it's just incongruous. You're going to the backcountry to get away from the trappings of uh, of uh, you know city life and you know business and work and all that stuff. You're getting away, and suddenly you're walking along. And it's like what's with all the colorful painted rocks? Why is there why is there so many rock cairns? Yeah, and well, the, I mean that 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 one little video from Zion. Oh my god! Like they obliterated the path. You're <laughs> tiptoeing. Yeah, <laughs> you're tiptoeing through all the little cairns that people yeah. have built, the little stacks it, did, of rocks. When I saw the picture, the, one of the first things that popped in my mind was uh, like some of the old 
drawings that you'd see in a science fiction novel of a different planet where the weird plants are growing it's like it's like or like a science fiction movie where it shows like these weird plants growing on another planet and you look at this picture in zion national park and it's like it's like these weird mushroom things everywhere every six inches there's this stack of rocks what They're are the, when you're in a cave stalagmites Stalactites are Stalact- hang on tight. Stalactites are above and stalagmites are below. I'm probably they hang wrong. on. They it's hang a 50/50. on tight, which means they're from the ceiling, right? Is that that's, that, that's I remember that. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Stalactites are from the ceiling because they're hanging on tight. We have a 50-50 chance to get yeah, this right. <laughs> so I'm right. Uh, <laughs> even if science disagrees, I'm right. But yeah, so like the stalagmites that come up from the bottom. Yeah, that's what that, these look like. That's exactly what it looked like. And that's all I could think of. hundreds of them in this picture. Yeah. And it's like, it's right on a trail. And, you know, you get the uh, the proponents and they're saying, oh, we're just having fun. We're doing something and we're enjoying it. It's like, uh, well, I don't know. Like there's there's lots of issues with building so many of these like mm. you're you're moving natural rocks from a riparian area and and so whether it's a stream bed or or air, anywhere's where there could be rainfall and stuff so a lot of these rocks they form their own little pockets in the soil or in within other rocks and and they become the surface that water would run over but if you're moving all these rocks and you're stacking them somewhere else, you're you're exposing you're, you could be exposing uh, areas that are now going to wash out. You're going to have erosion issues. You're going to have uh, water turbidity issues downstream, where suddenly you're, you, there's a lot of extra dirt going into the streams and so on. And uh, it, it's just it changes the natural look. Like I personally, I. I it, it, the visual part of it bothers me the most, but then you start thinking about it. It's like, oh, well, this is, there's some erosion issues here. There's, you know, this is where, you know, it, animals, you know, bears might come along and, and be wanting to flip some rocks and find some bugs and worms. And now he's, that's all changed. Well, there's the whole science aspect of it. They say, you know, you get these rocks. I mean, you look at the big rock people have flipped over to use for the bot, for the base. Yeah. There's a little miniature ecosystem in there with bugs and little colonies, yeah. and you know, like little tiny. Yeah. So you're disturbing that whole thing. You've totally just destroyed all that. Yeah. yeah. And like you say, I mean, you, 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 uh, a bear or some animals coming through looking for for big juicy grubs, yeah. and you've you've taken that away. Yeah, and so people somehow justified, it and it's like, well, you know, you're doing it for fun, so it's justified. So what if it was for business? So why don't I just build dams everywhere? It's for business. It's mm-hmm. for business. It's like, well, there, the, I think in the backcountry, and with the the leave no trace principles, I think you really should be a little less impact as as little impact you can't have zero impact let's be honest but if you can have as little impact as possible leaving it as you found it so that other people can enjoy those backcountry areas as well and if you want to a comparison to it as well is like uh, you go to a park and somebody has carved hearts and you know Bob loves, you know, Frida or whatever on the trees and this, that. It's like, how many times can you walk through a park and see hundreds of new carvings in the trees and slash marks? And you go to a campsite and you see somebody is like taking a hatchet at the tree and it's like, oh, 
people. They're just having fun. It's like, mm-hmm. well, no, you're 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 destroying the ecosystem. You're making a change in the ecosystem. So doing these rock cairns, it's uh, you, you are affecting the ecosystem, same as carving something into a tree or or deciding that hey, uh, that's a nice rock face out in the middle of nowhere. I think I'm going to put graffiti on it. Right, and I saw that you put in the notes. It's like you know, graffiti is de- is a deplorable form of defacing the backcountry, and mm-hmm. and I agree. It's like, what are people thinking? It's you can't justify it by saying I'm having fun. Well, and the paints and sealants people are using, some of them are going to leach contaminate. Out. Yeah, they're going to leach out. You know, um, yeah, it's just contaminated stuff you, that are going into the yeah. into the system. You don't know what it's going to do. Yeah, you know, uh, the end of that article. So this is the the just having f- we are just having fun. Yeah, this is the same excuse people use to justify building illegal campfires or blasting out music on weatherproof speakers. Yeah, I suppose to the entitled, anything goes so long as we're having just fun. having fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it a frustrating part of and and it's why I kind of wanted to bring it up again is just because it was so I read the story I read the Zion National Park story then I read the uh, the Adventure Journal article with the opinion piece and it's like okay yeah it's it's getting worse but I didn't really think much of it until I read all the comments after the article and it's like there's so many people justifying these acts of destruction in the backcountry. And it's like, and so one woman had said, uh, so, you know, guys are going, Hey, you know, we, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a Karen kicker. I, I go to well, uh, there's I, t-shirts and everything. There's right? t-shirts, Karen, yeah, kicker. Karen kickers. So they go out of the way. And, and so the park staff are saying, somebody's building Cairns. And if you're following it and you follow it off the trail because somebody's decided to build a bunch of cairns, you get lost, you're off trail, and now you're tromping through, you know, you uh, sensitive areas and you're stepping on sensitive plants and you're off trail. And, and so you're causing actual damage. Well, and, and some of them are, are leading to nowhere. Yeah. So people are following these and getting, and getting lost. lost. Yeah, getting off trail and getting lost. It's like, well, I guess just as long as somebody's having fun. Yeah. So it's yeah it's it's always bugged me and and I I don't want to go around kicking cairns myself but if there's that many out there it's like well enough's enough mm-hmm. I may have to uh, I may have to start becoming a cairn kicker curmudgeon I know I'm getting old <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what when I was up in Woodland Caribou you would have you'd see a small cairn at campsite so that way you knew it was a campsite yeah and you'd see them sometimes on uh, the shore to portages because things aren't well, like totally well marked with signs and all that sort of thing. So, you know, in a case like that, that's one thing is a marker, mm-hmm. one single marker. Yeah. Leave it at one, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, uh, the one <laughs> we were, we were giggling at. So you're a Karen kicker. You're, you're kicking that down. So what if you see a kid building a, a, <laughs> a sandcastle? Are you going to kick the sandcastle too? And the <laughs> No, I'm just going to bury the kid up to its neck and let the tide work. come in. <laughs> and then sarcasm. Yeah, exactly. In, you know, in brackets. Because people or, don't get humor. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, like kids building a sandcastle on a beach, that's different. A beach is completely different. The The wind and the rain and the waves are going to wipe out that sandcastle. Somebody's going to come along tomorrow, build a new sandcastle. That's different. These rock cairns, 
they are stable. They're going to sit there forever. Like there was, some, you were talking about what you say, North T, where in the rapids, there's oh a, no, T Lake Dam T-Lake in Algonquin Dam. on Highway 60. There's a little picnic area. Yeah, yeah, like there's stones in the river, like yeah. big rocks, and yeah. people have built these little cairns yeah. on top of all those big rocks. So you go from a natural environment to it's like it's, I'm not going to take a picture of that. I'm you know I'd like to see something a bit more natural, and I like mm-hmm. to be in the presence of nature. I like to walk through and, and, and enjoy the scenery. And it's like, suddenly you're like jolted back to reality. It's like, Oh, there's a civilization. There's oh, yeah, people there's here. People here. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So stop building them. Yeah. It's, We're gonna it's, get- I don't think it's necessary. Do it in your backyard. Right. So there's so many people saying, Oh, do it for the gram. I'm going to get to build a Karen, do an Instagram picture and, you know, get my girlfriend in a fuzzy blur in the background of my Karen and yada, yada, yada. It's like, sure, it's a fine picture, but take your Karen down afterwards. Well, don't build it in the first place. <laughs> build it and take it down. Take it with you. <laughs> but it's just like, what is it? The, the staff at national parks and in parks of Canada, they, they consider this vandalism. Yeah. They say it's disrespectful and it's, it's depending on the park of federal, provincial, whatever. So like in the national parks in the States, they consider it illegal. Mm-hmm. And so they have a leave it as you found it ethic. You know, it's like the leave no trace thing. Leaving Cairns is not a leave no trace ethic. And I think in my opinion, and I might be wrong, but the way I view it, it's, uh, it's the new people that are building the cairns and they're thinking nothing of it. Whereas the people who have spent a lifetime in the backcountry and camping and whatever, they're the ones that are going, what are you doing? This is destructive. This is vandalism. This is... Yeah. You, I mean, it's been going on for years. It but has, but it's, it has... It's, got, it's picked up a lot lately. Oh, over the last year? Yeah. Over the yeah. last 18 months, it has gotten way worse. Yeah. Um, speaking of things that are getting worse... Uh, the whole bear deal in the, the back deal? country and stuff like that. Like like news and stuff? Bear people? Yeah, the bear people where, you know, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> you were there last week. Uh, back country with bears becoming accustomed to dirty campsites and stuff. Yes. Right? It's, it's becoming more of an issue where you'd go in, to a site and you've never seen a bear before. And mm-hmm. now all of a sudden a bear is visiting you four times over a weekend. Exactly. Sort of, and it, becoming- there's been there's been st- we, we, at McGregor there was a sign up and uh, it was active bear in McGregor Park, right? So there's there was a problem bear, and they're saying keep your food locked up in yep. your car in your whatever is keep Cars it locked and campers. Up. Last thing we need is to be training bears that people are the providers of food. Yeah, uh, then they become a nuisance bear, which they're yep. either moved or put down. Yes, exactly, right. and that's the worst part of it is once a bear. If they can relocate a bear at, you know, it can be fairly expensive sometimes. If they can relocate it and it doesn't come back, then it's like, oh, fixed. But if the bear comes back two or three times, they're going to shoot the bear. There have been scientific studies where they've moved bears and the bears have found, and they've moved the bears significant distance. Yeah. And the bears have found their way back every time. And they don't even have maps. It's just like migrating. They don't even have maps. How do they do uh, it? GPS. (laughs) <laughs> so, funny I should mention, though, about the money. A judge has ordered an Idaho woman to pay over $5,800 for leaving trash out that attracted a grizzly bear mm-hmm. 
to her campsite in Wyoming's Grand Teton National Park. John Van Berger brought this article to my attention. Uh, wildlife officials, they had to tranquilize the bear and then move it by boat elsewhere in the park in the hope that the tasting human food won't make the animal come back again, mm-hmm. which, will I mean, a grizzly is, yeah. you know. Uh, they If the bear comes back, it might have to be killed if it yeah. becomes a problem. Irresponsible behaviors have consequences, and many times it is the wildlife that pays the ultimate price, Grand Teton Superintendent Chip Jenkins said. Chip. Other campers shot photos and video of the bear rummaging through garbage and drinks left unattended at the campsite, uh, according to this statement and court documents. And signs at the campground warned campers to store food in vehicles or outdoor lockers to avoid attracting bears. Mm-hmm. Now, we've been at Pog Lake in Algonquin Park, and people left stuff in a, a Rubbermaid tote under their picnic table. Yeah. In walks Mama Bear with her cubs following. Here we go. And tears the place apart. It's breakfast. It's like, you can't mm-hmm. really fault the bears for it. They smell the food. They, they follow their nose. They don't go by normal human rules. So no. they, all they know is like, I got to feed myself and my kids. And yeah. look, there's a big cooler full of food there. I'm going to eat it. We're eating. Yep. Uh, U.S. Magistrate uh, Judge Mark Carmen in Mammoth Hot Springs convicted the woman of improper food storage, a misdemeanor. The restitution he ordered Tuesday could would cover the cost of relocating and having to use a GPS collar to track the bear. When I first read this story, I was, I was thinking, huh, that's a weird fine, 5800 bucks." But when I read the rest of the story, it's like, oh, that's how we got so to 5800 bucks." Now you know how much it costs to tranquilize <laughs> yeah. a bear, throw him in a boat, take him across yeah. so many lakes. Throw a tracker on him. Throw a tracker thingy on him yeah. and uh, dump him on the, on the curb. <laughs> bear, out of town. More than 700 grizzlies roam the Yellowstone region of Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. Outside Alaska, grizzlies are federally protected as a threatened species. So knowing that it's a threatened species, you don't want to shoot it. Exactly. And you also don't want to encourage them to become familiar with human food. Mm-hmm. Right? So the the more we can keep them naturalized, the better it is. It reminds me of a story from, uh, I think this happened three or four years ago. So, uh, and it was unfortunate, but, uh, there was, uh, so this mama bear and it was her, it was her second year with a new cub. And she was one of the first bears to use those, uh, those, uh, game crossing bridges. Oh yeah. Out yeah. West. Yeah. So this mama bear had taught her, her kids on two consecutive years that this is how you migrate and so she was she was following all the rules of following these bridges and she wasn't getting in trouble she wasn't getting on roads and but unfortunately irresponsible people had left food out and then she became habituated and uh, in the third year they could not keep her out of human food and then they they made a big thing of it they're saying like this this mama bear had learned how to safely use these animal crossings to get across the Trans-Canada Highway. And she was using, she was staying in, in bear areas and she was being really good. And then she became habituated with human food. And after that, I think they tried to relocate her like three times. And it was just, it was too much. They, it was too much of a threat to people and children. And so they said, 
we have no choice because we could try and move her again. But if a human becomes injured because of this, then we're in trouble because we didn't take you action didn't take sooner. Action sooner, yeah. And so they had to uh, destroy the bear, and uh, and it comes down to bad habits by people not protecting wildlife from your food. And that's what's happening in the backcountry right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the garbage. I mean, I don't know how many people I've seen posting pictures of, I just went to a site oh, on this lake and campsites. this is yeah. all the food left over in yeah. the campsite. And look, just offshore, people have done all their dishes and dumped yeah. wasted food mm-hmm. like two feet off of shore. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, so if they're doing that in the lake, what do you think they're doing yeah. in the bushes around the campsite? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You, know? you find piles of oatmeal in a bush or you, you go down is... to the beach and there's oatmeal and food and noodles floating on the shoreline mm-hmm. at the beach. It's like, oh, my kids wanted to swim here and there's food in the water. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I don't but, know. But uh, yeah, so I, I've heard a lot of, a lot more bear pictures this year. There are. Being posted. Yeah. A lot more bear yeah. pictures. So I think that because of the amount of people in the backcountry and the messiness mm-hmm. of people and all the new people who don't know proper rules and etiquette of backcountry camping are, are within a year have created a lot of problem bears. Well, I hope at the main campsites, if this sort of thing is happening, like happened mm-hmm. in Wyoming, yeah. I hope they start doing the, well, you got to pay for this. It's going to send a message. This uh, $5,800 fine for this woman for uh, not uh, storing her food properly on her campsite. And I, I think this will, once stories like this get out and people get fined and like she, I'm sure she's going to complain about it as, as humans do. But uh, the more it, stuff like this happens and the more people get fined for doing it, the more the message gets out. It's mm-hmm. like, so people are not concerned about creating an habituated bear, but they do care about losing money. Yeah. Right? So, Well, it's just like we got an area around the corner from us. And since I was in high school, we know when you're passing through this little area, don't speed. Oh. There's always a cop there and yeah. you're going to get a ticket. You don't want to speed right? this location. So, And yeah, if yeah. you don't want to spend money on a ticket, you're, you're going to slow down. Exactly. You're going yeah. to do what you need to do. Yeah. And then you'll speed up again. <laughs> but yeah, you don't want to lose the money. These two people don't want to lose the money. So yeah. hopefully it's going to kick in that, yeah, we better not uh, mm-hmm. be doing that. So good on the judge to actually throw that at her. Yes, it, it is good. It's And what's... and. Not just for finding her, but it's recouping the costs of relocating the bear. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of it, it's a win-win. It's a, so you've you're trying to teach her a lesson, but you're also recouping the costs of what damage she's yeah. done by having to relocate that bear. Well, it's just like uh, when you press the button on your spot because you decide to go do a a um, trip or something in high heels. <laughs> and you got to call search and rescue because you can't get back out. True I, story happened. I couldn't figure out how to use my water filter. Rescue yeah. me. Yeah. Dude cut his hand. Yeah, yeah. Rescue me. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is a life and death rescue situation. This is not about, oh, I'm uncomfortable because yeah. my sleeping bag got wet. Yeah. Well, I bought, <laughs> I, I get the insurance with my spot unit so that if anything happens, I do have to press that button. My All my costs are covered. Okay. Right. So yeah. the insurance pays for the, the costs. I don't. I'll have to check in on mine. Uh-huh. I've always had that because a I don't have however many thousands yeah. of dollars it's going to cost to send in exactly, a helicopter. Yeah. B then the helicopter company search and rescue it doesn't come out of their budget. 
they'll get reimbursed do you pay for, for it. You pay for that insurance rate through spot? Yeah. It's part of my uh, my yearly fee. I'll have to remember that. I think it's like 26 bucks or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I'll have to remember to but look it's, that up. That way, yeah. Let the insurance company pay for that. Yeah, exactly. Reimburse the search and rescue mm-hmm. folks. Right? And it's it's money well spent. And I hope that's re- I, I I hope the search and rescue people just hammer the pricing because <laughs> insurance people that's yeah. why <laughs> exactly. Well, it's one of those things. It's uh, it's good it's, to have. It's it, peace of mind. Like it's yeah. one of those things. Like I I I've had insurance for who knows how long, and and uh, so I on my I, I had a couple claims when I was uh, growing up in New Brunswick, but since I've moved away from home. BC, Ontario. I've never used auto insurance. I've never used uh, home insurance. But it's one of those things. It's a couple thousand yeah, a year. Never used. Yeah. But in the end. Basically, it, they're betting on you never to have an accident. Yeah. And I'm hoping I never have to use yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of money. Hmm. Uh, John Van Berger. Ah, uh, yes. You know how he has his. Uh, his oh shit Oh kit. shit emergency kit. Yeah. Um, he's decided that he needs to put something else in it. Yeah, that was funny that when you told me about that. Like, it's like oh, money oh. or a prepaid visa. Yeah, yeah. So he was going out to... Oh, a prepaid visa. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. You can just sit there. That's a great idea. I've actually got one in my desk here. Yeah? Um, yeah, it's only like 50 bucks. Yeah, but, but it's something in a pinch. Something in a pinch, yeah. You got a yeah. visa card there that you can... Yeah. So what was his situation? Why did he suddenly realize he needed... So he was going to go out to do some uh, prep for... Um, his Erie Canal trip. Oh, yes. And had the canoe on, went zipping down, was almost out of gas when he got to where he was going, realized he forgot his wallet. Oops. Didn't have money for launching the canoe. Oh, wow. Didn't have money for gas to get back. (laughs) I was laughing at him. We weren't laughing with you. We We were laughing laughing at at you. you. (laughs) <laughs> oh, knock on wood, it never happens to me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he was like, oh, so I just put the big wiener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's something new for the old shit emergency kid and the outdoor kind. Yes, exactly. And so that's, a, I had n- never really thought about that until his situation came up. And it's like, that's kind of a wake up. It's like, like, what if you're off somewhere as you're in the backcountry, you lose a pack. Mm-hmm. And your wallet is in it, which case in point is uh, Scott Rogers. He fortunately, before we went on the trip, the uh, the outfitter last year when we went to Noir River, the outfitter says, you might want to leave your keys here in case you lose your packs. And they're like, oh, yeah. So everybody left their car keys there. Scott lost his pack. He got it back about a month later. But in it was his phone, his wallet. And some other stuff, all of his camping gear. Mm-hmm. And so if fortunately he left his keys behind, but he went home and had to, but he ended up replacing everything in the wallet and got a new phone because it was, he didn't know if he's getting the pack back, but he didn't, and he didn't get it back for like over a month. So he ended up having to replace a lot of stuff. I empty my wallet before I go on a canoe trip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I keep the pertinent thing, like the health car and yeah. Visa car, that sort of stuff. I'll keep that in my wallet. Mm-hmm. But all the extra stuff, all the petrol points and yeah, you don't need that library card. You just need some health, a health car driver's yeah. license. And I just leave all yeah. that at home on my my because yeah, okay, I've gone from twenty things in my wallet to two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, in case you in case something happens and you need some money or something. Yeah. So that that I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do something like that. But Puts, my my baler bucket, I got one of those orange buckets. Yeah. With the screw off cap, right? Yeah. It's got the light in it. It's got the well, the whistle I wear on my yeah. PFD. It's got the rope in it, and the bucket itself is your baler bucket. Yeah. Right. But I got salt in there. Oh yeah. I got a lighter in well salt for leeches. Oh. Right. Little McDonald's packets. Yeah. So when I was at McDonald's, I asked for extra salt on my fries. Mm-hmm. They gave me those little packets, just tossed them in there in a little snack bag. <laughs> I got a lighter in there, a couple of the little little things. I think I got a tick key in there. Oh, okay. Just little things that if you are, if you lose something or separated, yeah. you've got a little thing here that you can start mm-hmm. a fire, yeah. you can get the leeches off, you can stick them on a stick and cook them over that fire you just started. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just a little extra things that you stick in that bail bucket yeah. that people don't think about. Oh, Yeah. Uh, never, never thought, thought of that. that. Yeah. No one ever looks into it. When was the last time you opened your bailer bucket? I know, right? Never. <laughs> you know, so. One of the things John was talking about when we when he mentioned this was he was going to down to do a speed test in prep for the Erie Canal. Was this when he didn't have his wallet? This, this was, was a speed yeah. test trip? Yeah, okay. this was his speed trip test. Uh, I guess he was just in such a hurry to speed out of the house, forgot his wallet. Do you calculate your speed or not when you're paddling? I tried in the early years, and now I just kind of, meh, guesstimate. What happens is what happens, right? Mm -hmm. It's good to know, because if if you're going to be booking campsites, I don't book anything that's unreasonable, but sometimes you just don't know what unreasonable is. Yeah. Well, I've gotten into, I used to just, "Ah, whatever, I'm just going to guess where I'm going. Yeah. Hopefully I make it and on time or, you know, you sort of know, well, I can probably make I it might, that far. Yeah, I may have an extra long day because it's one of those things when you're, when you have reserved campsites, it's like, well. You need to make I, it to I can't site. just say I'm not going to make it to that lake because if I stay on this lake, I might be displacing somebody. And mm-hmm. the next thing you know, somebody's paddling around the lake trying to find their campsite and they're all full. It's like, sorry. I've been more, trying to be more diligent over the last few years of when I launch first thing in the morning, when I hit portages, when I launch from the portage, when I get to my campsite at the end of the night, that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and keeping track of campsites I've camped on so that I can gauge. Because now you go into Google Maps. If the you know. Measure function, yeah. Yeah, if you know that you camped right there on Google Maps on that lake, if you right click on that spot, a little menu comes yep. up and the bottom one is measurement. Yeah. And then if you click anywhere else, it'll draw a line from where you, from that campsite where you stayed to where you clicked and it'll say the distance. Mm-hmm. So you can then follow that from your, the route you took to measure basic yep. distance. Yeah. And then, you know, okay, well, that, that was an eight-hour day of paddling. I went X amount of kilometers that day, and then the next day, and the next day. Yep. And you can get yourself a good average For over yeah, you, a good how, far, of how, how far fast you, you can paddle yeah. during the day. And, of course, there's going to be things that affect your you know, wind, weather, portages, yeah. running rapids versus lining rapids. Low water, clogged creeks. Scouting rapids takes a lot of time. Scouting rapids, trees down, beaver mm-hmm. dams, all that sort of stuff's going to yeah. affect it. 
But I've been using that Google Map, and when you're doing a lot of big water with, and you get to know how long it'll take you to do a, a portage, a regular portage, that sort of stuff. It really helps out when you're planning how far you can go in a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm estimating that solo, I'm doing three to four kilometers a day. Or sorry, an hour. Okay. Yeah, three to four kilometers a day. You battle real slow. <laughs> uh, uh, an hour, depending on the day. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so you sort of get to know by doing this, this, this distance and time. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, there was a lot of portages. I only made it this far. You know, this windy river section. I wasn't. I was only going two kilometers an hour. But at the end of the day, you'll you'll know you went this distance over this kind of terrain and and lakes and rivers and combinations in X amount of time. Yeah. So you can then, when you're planning your trip, you should have a good idea. On day one, I can get this far. So when you get that far, you know when you're starting to get there, start looking for a site because you're not getting any farther. Or, you know what, don't worry, you still got time. You're going to get up to there, that sort of deal. I like this now because you don't want to paddle for six days when you have 10 days worth of time. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of Because then you time. got four days. You're like, oh, we're back at the truck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's go again. Yeah. But you also don't want to be on a 10-day route with only six days worth of time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've just started that, and it's it's actually mm-hmm. been pretty consistent on all of, I've gone back, what, four different trips to four different areas, and it all seems to be pretty consistent on what I'm paddling a day and distance covered. When I first, when I first started seriously canoe tripping, like I've done, I've paddled all my life. I've camped and canoed and whatever, but I've never really... Like, it was like, you know, river trips and or just like weekend lake trips and stuff. I haven't really tripped extensively mm-hmm. until I moved to Ontario like 20-some years ago. And uh, so when I first started out, I, I think I found a chart or a graph on my CCR or some sort of estimate about how far you can go on a typical day, n- not taking into account portages or anything like that. And so I put a lot of effort into it and I was like, I was really concerned and I was trying, you know, how, how far can I make it? Like, am I, is it reasonable? And, and, you know, I, when I would call to the book and the people usually at Gonka Park was like, oh, well, how far can I make it in a day? Well, I don't know. How far yeah. can you make it? I was like, okay. Everybody's well, different. I'm still, I'm back into my own again. Anyways, I did a lot of estimating and, and, it, and I'm good enough now that I can, depending on the scale of a map, I can have an idea of how far I can go. And I remember there was one trip I was I was getting pretty good at estimating. I planned a trip. It was me and a friend, and um, so she uh, she she let me do all the planning, and, uh, and so we did a route through a Conklin Park, and it was like boom, this long, boom, we're this long, and and then we had to one of the part of the section of the route was from uh, from uh, Little Trout down the Tim River to Shipigou Lake. And so we we started off eh, maybe a little bit late, nine nine thirty, and uh, it was the Tim River is a windy river, mm-hmm. and we got in just at dusk. It was the sun was down, and we hit the campsite, and and she was seriously questioning my planning ability. <laughs> It's like she had serious concern about the whole rest of the trip because of of this seemingly a failure on my part to estimate distance. 
But, you know, I just took, as the crow flies, Tim Rivers this long. No, the Tim Rivers yeah. two and a half to three times that length because of all the corners and turns, alders that you have to kind of duck under and whatever. It's like, so it's it's really, you have to take into account terrain. You have to take into account portages. Is it a rough portage? Is it a maintained portage? And, and as you found out last year on the uh, Trent Severn, like you have to plan for... Uh, like the the time it takes to go through a lock. Like if you're not going to portage the lock, then you're waiting for shipping traffic to come, and there, you know, there might be they're waiting for a boat that just passed through the lower lock, the, and they're kind of yeah, we're going to wait twenty minutes, and it's like oh, well, that was forty minutes and whatever. So it's uh, it's so hard sometimes to estimate distance. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, but I, I'm I'm getting pretty good at it now. It's uh, it's uh, I, I have little concern often now about distances that I can travel. Really, it comes down to weather now. That's the only thing. That's the only variable that I can't really account for. Well, you know, with the when it comes to uh, rivers, like when you are using the Google Map route, yeah, you can zoom in. On the rivers, mm-hmm. and when you're using the, the the measurement tool, so you can follow that river, yep. the zigzag river, exactly with that. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, that that hour river, no, that's going to be a three hour river, yeah. not a one hour <laughs> river, my exactly. friend. Exactly, yeah, you know, um, and that's that's there's there's one part of our tomogamy trip that's goes through a, a a really windy river section, and yeah, that would have totally foobarred our our day. Yeah. If you do the crow's fly yeah. thing, you know, because we're going up from, we're, we're, we're making quite a bit of distance on that day. Mm-hmm. And then when you add in the windy river, yeah, that's not one day. <laughs> <laughs> so. One last point on distance. Yeah. I learned this from Grant Brower and uh, it was, it was something that it, it kind of never occurred to me that you could calculate something like this. It was uh, the length of a portage. So. I tripped with him, and uh, he taught me this. It was a, It's a simple skill, and it makes a huge difference mentally when you're crossing a portage. So if it's, say, a three-kilometer portage, for my stride length, I, I'm every... So I just count either left foot or right foot, one or the other. Just, so I pick the right foot. If my right foot hits the ground 75 times, I've gone a kilometer. And so it depends. In the morning, it'll be 75 strides, in late afternoon getting tired it'll be 80 strides right right so it's like okay 80 i did one kilometer 80 again did two kilometers about about a kilometer from the end of the portage and it makes a big mental difference when you're carrying a heavy pack and a canoe and it's like oh can i make it to the end it's like okay i've only got 40 steps left Mm -hmm. and uh, i was within 10 or 15 strides on almost every portage once i you know, you just for uphill, downhill. Out. But it's like, it makes a me- big mental difference on a long portage. I know in Algonquin, now, and I wouldn't be able to use this anywhere else unless it's nice, the, the portages you're doing in Algonquin. Yeah. 18 to 20 minutes a kilometer, fully yeah. loaded. I don't carry a watch anymore, so I... <laughs> well, yeah. I, I was just I was just yeah. figuring that out. Yes, like I yeah. say, when I'm doing these, yeah. these times and stuff, mm-hmm. I figured it out. I do about... 18 to 20 minutes for one kilometer yeah. if I got a pack in the canoe on. Yeah. Right? So a three-kilometer portage, you know, 60 yeah. minutes, right? And then you calculate, okay, am I going to single this portage? Am I going to well, triple the portage? Well, that's when you want to single the portage. <laughs> <laughs> 
But but yeah, yeah that, was, that was a neat tool that Grant taught me. It was like, oh, this is awesome. I'll have to remember that. Yeah, and it takes your mind off stuff. Like you kind of just you just get into the counting of it, and you kind of it's almost like a meditation. Mm-hmm. You're just going one, two, three. It's just kind of you turn your brain off and you enjoy the scenery. And you, if if I enjoy the scenery too much, it's like was I at twenty or thirty? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of neat. It's uh, yeah, yeah you got to come up difference. with some sort of little yeah. thing to help you out because yeah. I mean, if it's a small portage, not a big deal, but. But yeah, if you get some of these longer portages, like I'd like to know how far I got left. Do I have to take a break now, or am I gonna? Am, you know, it's like oh, I'm I'm two kilometers in. I got a half a kilometer to go. I'm gonna push on to the end. Have you ever done that thing? Oh man, I gotta be close. And you keep going, 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 and you're like, no, I just gotta set. The I gotta set it I, down. I gotta set the canoe down yeah. here. You take a drink. You take a five minute break. You put the <laughs> canoe on, and then right around the corner, it's like, put it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, Last thing I got here, uh, we'll just go over this kind of briefly. Do you remember a couple months back I said I would love to do, because everybody's talking about going across Canada and Mm -hmm. everybody's doing doing these routes down the Mississippis and everybody's doing different paddles this year. I could probably go online and next week I could come up with about 30 different fundraising paddles going on right now. It's big. Everywhere, it's all huge. over in uh, all over North America, yeah, all these things, and it's not just because of COVID. There's these, there's a lot of big trips planned. Like yeah. it's and they breathe themselves. It's like uh, the more people do it, the more people go. I want to do that. Yeah. So there's uh, all these fundraising things yeah. going on. I had mentioned I would love to start at Point Pelee National Park in Ontario, the yeah. southernmost, and it's an island right on the border, mm-hmm. like out in the middle of the lake. Yeah. Right. Start there. Paddle. All the way north to Cape Columbia off Ellesmere Island to the f- northernmost point of Canada. So like a weekend trip. <laughs> I, might, I might make it a three-day trip. I don't want to wait too fast. Long weekend. Yeah. But, it's, but I was saying it's like 7,700 kilometers or something like that, yeah. right? I mean, that's a long way up. It's a and big trip. I don't think you'd be able to do it all in one if you're nonstop paddling, if you're unemployed, definitely not. For one, if you're unemployed, if you're unemployed, you got and, the time. And two, if you're fast enough to gauge the seasons, mm-hmm. because it, it, it's a seasonal trip thing, right? Yeah. Well, once you get up north, yeah. you need to be up north in September. Yeah. Well, yeah. And if you could, if you could do, if you could paddle from Point Pelee up to Hudson's Bay, yeah. In, in one one year, one season, which is doable, easily doable. Yeah. Well, Hap's well, book, even the North End. Hap's the book North is end. superior to Hudson Bay. His book, and he, uh, what is it? What did he say it was? It was like forty or fifty days, depending on your ability. Maybe sixty. Yeah. But but I mean, we're talking. Yeah, right at the base, right from the border of the United States, all is there the way a water up. Route? There was, there is. I've tra- I've tra- traced yeah. a route that goes all the way up, and then you've got to switch to kayaks up on that big water. Yes, and then you and timing right, you can go all the way around the top. Yeah, I think if you got stuck, then you just haul. You get out and you'd haul your your kayak across the pack ice to get to the tip. Drag top. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking this would be something to do. Then I came across an article today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, um, Canada North to South. There's an expedition 
going on right yes. now. Traversing north to south more than 7,500 kilometers from Ellesmere Island to Port to Point Pelee National Park. Now, my route starts at the top of Ellesmere Island. Theirs is sort of at the bottom yes. section where the flow ice Eureka. is. So it's Eureka. So there's a, station, there's a yeah. station there. So they're cutting off a couple of hundred kilometers off and my route. It's out of necessity because it's they couldn't land be yeah. landed up there. They had to land on an air at a at a landing strip, a remote landing strip yeah. at Northern Point and stuff like that, right? So this began in April. Uh, it's the Royal Canadian Geographical Society 2021 Expedition of the Year. Mm-hmm. They s- skied 750 kilometers from Ellesmere Island to Resolute Bay in 40 days. The second leg was supposed to be skiing across the Barrow Strait, but ice broke up a month ahead of schedule, so they s- took a plane, a twenty-minute plane flight across the strait to uh, Joe Haven for a total of fourteen hundred kilometers. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, so yeah, just, across the strait, and then skied down. Yeah, to Joe they, Haven. they only needed the airplane for that one strait because it it did break up. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So that was the skiing part of it. In Joe Haven, they grabbed canoes. And dragging the canoes along the ice or paddling when they open water to the back river was the plan. Um, the, the paddle down the chain of lakes to Baker Lake. This will be a 900-kilometer section and reaching the geographical midpoint of Canada. They will then paddle 1,000 kilometers along the Kazan River to Black Lake in northern Saskatchewan. Then... They will switch to bicycles and paddle through Saskatchewan to Point Pelee in Ontario. The trip will take seven months-ish. Yeah. They've gone a lot more west than I was, my route. Yes. Plans. So they chose to do river travel instead of, I, I, I assume it's to the safety. You don't want to be on too open water. Mm-hmm. Hudson Bay can get pretty rough if you're not careful. The last thing you want to do is be windbound for a whole week or something, right? So they're taking the an inner route westerly, and they are currently at the midpoint. So they're at Baker Lake right now. And uh, if you look at the live view, they uh, they are in Baker Lake. So... I don't see any more icons on their route, but they mm-hmm. dropped into Baker Lake on the 17th of this month. Was it? Okay. Um, Which is the Yeah, because the 13th, the lakes had melted and they were able to do their final leg of their journey to Baker Lake, mm-hmm. uh, be able to start it. So it didn't take them all that long to get there. Yeah. So, yeah, on June 10th, they arrived in Joe Haven, switched to their canoes, pulled their canoes 40 kilometers uh, to the mainland, made their way down the coastline. Cold spring, and now they had the early breakup farther north, but south it was cold spring. Exactly. And uh, a chilly start to summer with a later breakup. Yeah, it lingered, yeah. So they had to go a bit farther west than they wanted to. Some rivers had thawed, but lakes were still frozen. Uh, transitioning the canoes from ice to water back again, sometimes several times a day, was punishing for the canoes. Yeah. And so... Right? Now, of course, them as well, but... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So their boats became brittle and the insides started to crack. The older canoes did not have enough flexibility to cope with the bending 
caused by the transitions. Well, you're talking like, you know, minus degrees, mm-hmm. and minus 20, minus 30. It's like, yeah, I don't, whitewater canoes are tough, but they're not designed to be run in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, water was seeping in, freezing in the yep. sub-zero nights. Exactly. Right? Eventually, the canoes deteriorated enough that a routine collision with a rock caused a large hole. Oops. Using the rubber from a pair of boots and some elastic, they patched up the hole and set to work on the interior of the canoe. Despite the group's considerable experience, the internal cracks were almost impossible to fix. Uh, Moving forward, they would have to get experimental and weird... I don't even want to know to protect the most delicate canoe for periods. Some periods they were loading one canoe on top of the other. Exactly. So if there was going to be damage, it'd be to one. Yeah. One canoe. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the four man team had to drag the, the two canoes piled on each other. Portaging hauling as often as paddling. It was not a typical backcountry canoe trip. They said. So yeah, by July 13th, lakes had melted final leg of their journey to Baker Lake could proceed. Uh, they, they surprised the visitor center, which hadn't seen tourists since the beginning of COVID at Baker Lake and weren't used to paddlers arriving that late in this or early in the season. The journey from Joe Haven had taken 34 days, a day quicker than they expected, uh, despite the extended stops to repair their canoe. So this week, like now, um, they've started their their second paddling section from Baker Lake to Black Lake, eleven hundred kilometer segment, estimating forty to forty five days. Mm-hmm. Right. So they would now. Yeah, we had a discussion about uh, West Hansen's book, The Amazon. Yes, uh, his, his, of his Amazon expedition, yep. and Alan and I had both said love to do a trip like that. But wouldn't want to be the guy, yeah, the leader, the one that's making decisions, yeah, because you know what? There's always going to be those interpersonal, yeah. things going on. So there's a little thing going on here. They would not get into specifics, specifics, but one member of the four-person crew that made it to Baker Lake has left the expedition. Being diplomatic, the reason given was interpersonal reasons. Yes. So they they were able to get a person to fill that spot, mm-hmm. lucky enough. But so you know, there's on a trip like that, that long, that much difficult personalities have to clash. You have to expect there's going to be clashes. Yeah. I I wouldn't want to be the leader of that group. No, you know, no. And because it's so remote, there's there's no easy exit. So, no, yeah, no. it's like it's like you're. It's in, not like I say I'm taking my in, ball and going home. Yeah, you're in for a penny, <laughs> in for a pound. See you guys tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, they expect to be in Point Pelee by the end of September and into October. Wow. Hmm. Skiing, canoeing, and bicycling. Yep. Awesome. And the, the bicycling part of it is long. Yeah, that's like 4,000 kilometers or something like that. Yeah. No, thank you. I suppose it'd be faster because you're on a bike, but still, that's uh, that'd be an unco- uncomfortable slog on a bike. You wouldn't walk again for years. <laughs> exactly. Like, You'd be walking. Yeah. Well, like you see the old uh, uh, cowboys. Yeah. After riding horses down the trail for so many weeks, yeah. right? Walking, walking down the street, looking like it's still straddling a horse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, that's pretty cool. That's 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 happening right now. Mm-hmm. So it's not my exact trip, but. It's similar. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently two of us had a great idea. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, and that's all I got this week. What about you, bud? No, that's all I got. That's it? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah. Just planning new trips, planning future trips, trying to get logistics down, and and uh, things are close. Yeah, it's going to be trip after trip. I've got trips between, well, starting this weekend up through Canadian Thanksgiving. It's nice to have that, eh? Like mm-hmm. last year, everything was so up in the air. It's like this year, it's like, oh, I think... I think we're almost back to normal. Well, let me let me ask you this before we sign off for the, the the week here. Back in the day, I used to look forward to my beginning of the season trips. Yep. And then, you know, you do a couple of bigger trips during the summer, but then you got the the fall one, so it was more spread out. Mm-hmm. But there was times during the summer where you're like, oh, man, I wish I had the vacay time to to be going. Yep. But you always had that beginning. All right, it's the beginning of the season. Exactly. But now everything's all at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Like it's just trip, 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 trip. Yeah. Sort of thing. Trying to squeeze everything in. Would you like it spread out so you have that one? Or do you prefer that little wait until August or whatever? And then all of a sudden, boom, it's like, woohoo. <laughs> so for me. I know what I'd like, but unfortunately, my hatred for mosquitoes and black flies, I, uh, I, I, I'm okay with not doing the early season trips unless it's really early. Yeah. I, I've been on a few early season trips when the black flies are just in their first hatch where they're bumping into you, but not biting. That's great. You're, so you're out, you're out in the back country. It's like, oh, this is a wonderful first trip. But uh, yeah, otherwise it's i uh, I'm not a June tripper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not my thing. You know, I enjoy my June trips. Um, when I lived in Moosonee as a kid, I used to get, oh, so you get used to it alive. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was it was brutal. And now I can walk out there without a bug jacket on, mm-hmm. and not think twice about it. Yeah, so it doesn't bother me. I mean, it bothers me, but it doesn't bother me like yeah. a lot of people, yeah. right? Uh, but I like the fact that, okay, well, I got all this stuff done during the summer, doing stuff in the backyard and doing stuff around the house. And, okay, I'm tired of the honeydew list. And all of a sudden, yeah, yeah you've gotten all that yeah. done. And now it's just, well, and then after Thanksgiving, we've got our first semi-winter camping trip at the end of October. Yeah. And then we get into New Year's. We're up for a few, few days, like four or five days. And then you're into winter camping and yeah yeah it just seems like once august first hits it's you... just non-stop excitement <laughs> till next year yeah exactly you know are you booked for halloween yep. up at mew yep yep yeah we got that booked nice um and then i think this week this friday i'm booking because it's six months right yeah so i'm booking uh our our new year's this uh this week oh okay yeah yeah right yeah because yeah, we're going up a couple of days early mm-hmm. so we can set and then spend four or five days up there and then coming back in the new year we uh we had just because of all the hikes we did up at mcgregor all of the trails the bike trails and hiking trails they have either a little picture of a snowshoe guy or a picture of a ski guy so all these trails are winter trails as well and so we decided on this trip we just got back from that we're probably going to go between Christmas and New Year for about a week and uh, take the hot tent and go to McGregor and camp at McGregor for a week over Christmas, New Year. That's Year's. cool. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So it's uh, just because we saw all these really nice trails there, and it's it'd be great for the kids because there's no steep hills or anything. It's everything's pretty level, so they they could get their snowshoeing on and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's like yeah, I think that's a great idea. Just keep on planning, buddy. Yeah. Because McGregor's on one of those. McGregor's one of those. Uh, it's like Mew. It's open year round. Yeah. Yeah. So it's gonna be great. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be great. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Um, I think that's everything then. That's all mine. Well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, iHeartRadio, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at Paddling Adventures Radio and download or stream all our episodes. 285 of them now. If you enjoy our podcast, please share it with your family and friends and fellow paddlers. I'd like to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Spest. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>